Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host, and today I have with me my loving, kind, and awesome <laughs> significant other and co-host, Deborah Micus. Hello. And today I have with us Brian McCullough of Oak and Bond Coffee Company. How are you doing today, Brian? Good, good. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, thank you, Brian. And and for those of you in the audience who don't know, we had some tech, technical difficulties today, and Brian's been awesome waiting for us. So behind the scenes, these podcasts don't always go as smoothly as possible. Just like in business, you have this storefront and this image, but things don't always go according to plan. And Brian, thank you for being so patient with us and making sure uh, we could get the podcast recorded a, a little bit later than planned. So we appreciate that for sure. Yeah, no problem at all, guys. So... Tell us about your business, Brian. Uh, what does Oak and Bond Coffee do, and what makes you guys unique? So, uh, Oak and Bond Coffee is a specialty coffee company. Um, we are based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and really, we started Oak and Bond just for our love of sourcing, roasting, and, and finding really good coffee. That that it first started that we could share with our family and friends, um, and now along the way, uh, we've really enjoyed sharing it with all the new friends that we've met on social media through events that we do through podcasts like this um so it's it's really a chance for us to to share our love of really good coffee with uh, friends and family um so like you said what what makes us what makes us unique compared to everyone else um so we have a line of barrel aged coffees uh, we really enjoy that so not only do do we love uh coffee but we also enjoy you know maybe on the weekend maybe on an evening uh, we enjoy really good whiskey, bourbons, ryes, uh, and and wines. My wife really loves wine, uh, so she has a, a real passion for, for that. So what we've done is we found a way to combine not only really incredible uh, coffee, but with some of the best uh, whiskeys, bourbons, ryes, and wines that you can find. Uh, and how we do that, that is we we age our coffees in used um, whiskey or wine barrels. Um, so it really makes a, a unique combination of flavors and ones that, that not only we love, but we, we love to share with everyone else. And so how long does the coffee have to be in the barrel to actually pick up that flavor? And, um, and what type of flavors are those, again, just so everyone in the audience knows? Absolutely. Um, so, so the one thing is every barrel is different. Um, every, be it the age of the barrel uh, or what type of barrel it is. So we use... Uh, all of our whiskey barrels are Kentucky bourbon or rye barrels. Uh, so for those, it, it could go from anywhere from a couple weeks to well over a month, just depending on the barrel itself. And I, I will say that uh, each barrel that we use, when we put the beans in, we want it to be dry. We don't want any moisture in there. Uh, to properly roast your coffee, you want the, the humidity level um, and the moisture content in the bean to be low. You don't want it to be, you know, like kind of like wet, like a sponge. You wouldn't want it to, to be kind of spongy wet because it just wouldn't roast properly. Uh, so for so to answer your question for our, our whiskey barrels or our whiskey barrel aged coffee, it's anywhere from a couple weeks to a little bit over a month. It really just depends on on the barrel, the age, uh, the, the temperature, everything uh, for our wine. Uh, if you compare really the, the flavors of, of whiskeys and wines, you know, they're, they're considerably different, especially be it the uh, alcohol percentage in each uh, bourbon barrels, they're really able to get into the wood of the barrel and you get a really potent aroma inside, even when they are empty. So the, the wine, be it that they're not in the barrel as long, it takes a little bit longer for 
us to age those and really extract the, the aromas and the flavors from the wine barrels into our coffee. Uh, and the most important part that we want to do is we want to one hand select really good coffee that pairs well for that barrel. So for bourbon, you know, people enjoy bourbon because of the brown sugar, the caramel, uh, the really thick, heavy notes of, of um, caramel and brown sugar that people really find to enjoy in bourbons. So we want to pair a coffee that goes well with that. Uh, so for, for our bourbon, we have a really nice Brazil single origin coffee that has not only like richness and heavy mouthfeel, but it's got the, the cocoa, the chocolate, and a little bit of that, that nice heavy caramel note in the bean. So it really pairs nicely when, when we go to age it in our bourbon barrels. Uh, for our rye, you know, rye is a little bit, some of them can be spicy depending on the distillery you go to. Uh, some of them are spicy. They're a little bit brighter. So that's what we wanted to pair. We wanted to pair it with a, a coffee that does have one, like the nice caramel, cocoa, heavy notes, but we want to have a little bit of a bright end that it would, would pair well with that rye barrel age. So that's why we're going to go for that. We use our, our Costa Rica single origin. Uh, and then for our wine, the, the Cabernet Sauvignon that we have now, uh, people love those. It's got the really, the, the barrel itself is a really, you know, strong flavored of, of fruits, of red fruits, strawberries, cherries. And we want to pair that with a coffee that, that would really pair nicely with that. And, and when you think of that, what do you think of pairing your red wine with? Well, you would, you would want to eat something maybe chocolatey. So we want a, we went with a Guatemala, uh, Weiwei Tenango, and it's got a really nice, rich chocolate, um, uh, note that pairs very nicely with the red fruits that come out of our, our red wine barrels. So really quickly, because you've mentioned roasting, but you're not, you, do you roast in the barrels or that's the, the barrels is more after you've roasted, you put it in there. So it picks up these hints of flavor that you're referencing. Right. Yeah. So, so when we put the, when we put the coffee in the barrels, uh, we put it in and we call it green coffee or unroasted coffee. So it, we, when we get the coffee in, um, they come in large, either 60 kilo or, or 70 kilogram um, bags. So that's like 130, 150 pound bags. We load up uh, the barrel. We want to leave a little bit of room. So typically we'll just put one bag of coffee in each barrel. Um, and then what we do, being that it's a green unroasted bean, it really acts like a sponge itself. So like I said, we don't want to put it in a, in a, in a, a wet or a moist environment because we wouldn't want that bean to the humidity level or the moisture content in the bean to go up. We want to keep it still at a low level. So we want those barrels to be dry. But whenever you put the coffee, you know, in a, in a different environment, because it acts like a sponge, it'll soak up and absorb the flavors and the aroma of the environment that it's in. So like when we get the coffee in the large majority of our coffees come in very thick plastic bags because when they're, they're shipping them out of Guatemala, Ethiopia, Brazil, They'll put them on the back of these big diesel trucks, and you wouldn't want that coffee to absorb those aromas. So the, the bean really does act like a sponge itself. So whatever environment you put it in, it's going to start to attain those flavor profiles from, you know, for us, for the barrels that we put it in. Uh, so that's how we're really, we're really able to extract the flavors from the barrel. It's not that we're actually putting whiskey or wine on the beans, because that's what we don't want to do. Uh, we wanted to absorb the aroma of the barrel of the, of the, the location where the beans at. So once we've aged it, once it really picks up those nice notes, uh, as the process goes along, as the beans aging, we're constantly uh, pulling coffee out, sample roasting, cupping, making sure that the profiles and the flavor profiles are, are what we want to meet. 
Uh, and then once we think that it gets to a certain level, we pull the beans out and then it'll be roasted after it's been aged in the barrel. So yeah, when it comes out of the barrel, it's, it's not roasted in the barrel. We're, we're roasting on a nice probat roaster. Uh, it does about, I think 25, 26 pounds per roast. Um, so yeah, we're pulling the beans out of the barrel green and then roasting it after they've absorbed those flavors. And so how is this process of how you guys putting it in the barrels to pick up these flavors? Like, how is it different from than let's say the grocery store brands that you see that maybe have um, a hint of vanilla or hazelnut or something like that? Do they use barrels or this is a, something you guys came up with? No. So, so when you were, when you get something at the grocery store, like a flavored coffee, uh, what they do is they use like, it's like a sugary substance that they put on the bean. Uh, it's like a syrup almost uh, that they use. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll, they'll concoct their flavors. Um, there's, there's hundreds of flavors out there that you can purchase um, to do flavored coffee. We, we don't want to do this. We, we really strictly want the flavors that are in that barrel uh, to come out and be absorbed into the beans. So we don't, we don't put anything on our beans. It's, it's the coffee bean itself. It's, the, it's the, the incredible profiles from the coffee bean and then from that barrel. So like, at, like I was saying, at a grocery store, what they'll do is they'll concoct some sort of syrup and then after the coffee's roasted, they'll pour it on the bean and mix them up and make sure that the bean's nicely coated in, right. in whatever flavor that they're syrup flavor that they're using. So this is pretty ingenious. How did you guys come up with this idea? I mean, did you start with bringing in coffee first and then this was a later concept or you started this company with this concept? Like, how did you come up well, with so, it? So that, that's a good question. And um, when we launched the company, that's what that's what we had. It was just our barrel age line. So it's we, we did it a bit backwards than some other companies <laughs> just because it's a it's a very niche market. But it's something that we enjoyed that we're like, we want to share this with everybody else. So when we launched the company, uh, all we had was our barrel age line. Uh, we're currently working on getting our packaging in for all of our I guess you could call it our, our non barrel age line. But it's it's a very good. It's a specialty coffee line of its own that we're going to have single origin and, and blend that aren't barrel aged, you know, like some of your other uh, popular specialty coffee companies. So we'll have a nice specialty coffee line that, that people will enjoy. And then we'll have this really n- nice uh, niche uh, barrel aged line of coffee as well. Uh, so as far as coming up with the idea, like I said, we've always enjoyed coffee. And then on the weekends, like I find myself drinking bourbon a lot. I like to collect bourbon myself. I collect some rice. My wife, she loves uh, wine and she collects wine herself. And, and, and our thought is, wow, we really love coffee all the time. <laughs> is there a way that somehow that we could combine this love of coffee with our passion of whiskeys and wines? And as you guys, since you guys are out in, in Denver, there's a lot of good craft beer out your way. Right. And I bet you a lot of those companies are doing barrel aged beers. Ah. So, well, so just curious, yeah, so where so do you get your is, barrels? Well, Say that again. Where do you get your barrels? I mean, I'm imagining they don't, you can't just use a barrel for forever, right? Like it probably has like only so much, you know, stuff that it, that can be infused from that barrel or do they last for, you know, years and years and rounds and rounds of it? No, no, they definitely don't. Um, the, the more, t- you know, the, the longer the coffee sits in there, the, the more of that aroma that's going to be left in the barrel is going to go into the beans. So yeah, you, you got it. I mean, we're, we try to use fresh barrels all the time. So for our bourbon barrels, we're hand selecting from distilleries in Kentucky. Uh, that's that's where we find that the best bourbon in the United States or in the world comes from. Right. Uh, so we're we're sourcing our our bourbon barrels directly from uh, the distillery, and then again with the rye, we're getting our rye barrels from Kentucky as well. So we're sourcing from some so many of the the best distilleries in the world 
as far as bourbon and rye goes. And then for our wine barrels, uh, we've sourced those from Napa Valley in California because when people think of American wine, what do you think of? You think of, of Napa wine. So we want to make sure that that the the coffee we're getting is is from the best you know farms in the world, and then we're sourcing barrels from the best regions. Uh, that have whiskeys and wines in the United States and the world. And so do they just do, do these companies just like retire their barrels after a certain amount of time and that's how come they get rid of them or like, why are they, or the, or you just say we want to purchase them because this is what we're doing. And then they pull them out of their line and put a new one in just because you've requested that. I mean, how is that? Right. That's a good question. Um, And so, so to be bourbon, now I'll, I'll kind of explain for each or each line that we have okay, here. Great. But but to be bourbon, one of the rules is is you can only use the barrel once. It has to be a new charred oak barrel every time they do. Every ah. time they produce a new bottle of bourbon, it's got to be in a new barrel. So so for bourbon, you can only use it once. So once they've used it, they have to sell it to somebody else. And the big market is is Scotch. So Scotch can use multiple barrels so they'll sell these to scotch distilleries and they'll put their scotch in the bourbon barrels because uh, ah. scotch the, the rule is you can use i mean you can use multiple barrels multiple times um but for bourbon you can only use it once so once they use it they'll sell off the barrels and that's how we're able to purchase this off of the distilleries um for rye uh, i believe it's the same i believe it's the same rules for rye i think you can only use it once to be a, an american rye I could be wrong um, but we get those after one use. And when I say one use, they're anywhere from for bourbon. We get our barrels anywhere from like five to we've we've had a, we've had a couple 15 year old barrels, too. So those are really nice to have yeah. uh, for rye. Typically, rye is aged a little bit less, like anywhere between four and eight years. So that's typically the rye barrels we get. And then wine. Wine's a little bit more difficult because you can use wine barrels over and over and over again. Uh, so those are a little bit more difficult to come by. But um, there's there's uh, wineries and there's barrel brokers out there that you can buy these used wine barrels off of. So what happens to the barrels after you guys use them? Then you mentioned that you, it only can absorb so much flavor out of the barrels. Do you then have a market that you're able to sell your barrels to? So no, we don't, uh, we don't sell our barrels. Uh, we're actually working on a project now to, to hopefully build something nice out of all the barrels that we've used. Um, and hopefully we can share with you guys that soon, but that's a little secret at the moment. So we've actually <laughs> my mind is going wild of and, what it might be. <laughs> we've been uh, we've been breaking down the barrels, and actually we have a um, a nice collection of barrel staves that we're going to use. That's cool. You know, it's an interesting. Justin and I watched. Where did we see it? I think we were in South Africa at a vineyard, and we saw. Um, how they actually make the barrels and how they used to make them even. And it was fascinating too. They were talking about how, you know, they used to have to clean them and how many people died because they would crawl into the barrel and get asphyxiated from the fumes and die. And so they started having to have different technology as to how they'd go in. And, you know, people could only clean so many barrels before it was dangerous for their health. And it was just interesting hearing the whole barrel thing. I was like, who knew? Absolutely. And if you ever get a chance, uh, if you get a chance to smell a freshly dumped barrel, you know, once, once right after they, they dump the whiskey out, right. it is very, very potent. I, I don't know how anybody could get in one of those because it, it is very, very potent. You have to watch out. I've had, I've, I've definitely fried my nose plenty of times, <laughs> taking a nice big smell off the, when I pull the bung out of the barrel, just to smell it, see if there's any more uh, liquid left in the barrel. It's, it's, it's potent. It's really, it smells great, but it, it is definitely... Okay 
hot coming out of the barrel. So do you guys fill it entirely full or do you leave like some headspace or whatever just so and roll them around a little bit so all the beans kind of get surface area or the fumes just kind of penetrate all the way through the barrel? No, yeah, so you're, you're right. Yeah, we, we don't fill it all the way up because we like to rotate the barrels, make sure that, that all the beans uh, get a part of that environment. Because if you think of the beans that are trapped in the middle, um, right. those beans right. are so small and they really compact themselves so well that I can't imagine that they would be have much of the environment. So yeah, like you said, we rotate the barrels, uh, make sure all the barrels are, are absorbing um, the same, and yeah, make sure they're getting nice aromas from the barrel. Okay, so I've never heard of anything like this. So I'm imagining you guys kind of invented it. And so, like, where were you guys when you were like, "Hey, I have an idea"? Like, how that this is what a process we could use. I mean, how did you? I mean, you said you both have a passion for coffee, and you have your each your beverage that is your preferred beverage. And so, the combining of the two. But how coming to the process of like we could procure barrels, and then we could put the beans in there. You know, like how did you come up with that? Right. It was definitely, it was definitely quite the process. And it was, and it was, you know, we did a lot of R and D. We did R and D for at least, I would say a year before we had a product that we were really happy with and, and that we knew people would enjoy. Uh, So yeah, it was, it was quite the process. And I I can't state claim that we were the first one to ever barrel age coffee. I know that there's other coffee companies out there that that do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But when we, when we had the idea ourselves, I had no idea that it was out there. It was, it was really us that we were sitting around and it was, I remember it was like multiple weekends and we just kept talking about it. Like there's gotta be a way that we can combine this. And then it like clicked one day and it's going to sound really weird. And I don't know why this made it snap in my head, but we were watching a commercial on TV and it was a Burger King commercial. <laughs> and it was a, it was a Burger King bur- uh, uh, burger that was, that had bourbon barrel aged bacon is what they called. And I'm like, <laughs> if Burger King can do this, there's got to be a way that we can barrel age whole bean coffee. There has to be. So I don't know why that day still sticks in my head, but that commercial is like, we, we've got to be able to do this. So that's kind of when we started looking into it more. I, I called, I, I think I called every single distillery in Kentucky. Uh, I've got a huge list of, of, do they sell the barrels? Do they not? Do they sell them to barrel brokers that you have to go through? And it was just a process of finding distilleries that, that, that one we wanted to work with and we enjoyed their product um, and something that worked for us. So, yeah, I mean, we went down the list of, of Kentucky distilleries and we called them all. So, so and, just at curious, that point, is that a thing, a barrel broker? Like you just said that I'm like, is that really someone's job that they're a barrel broker? Absolutely. So <laughs> Kentucky, do, Kentucky does it. There's, there's probably, I know of at least three to four of them in Louisville alone. And I know that there's other place in Kentu- places in Kentucky that do it. Uh, for the wine, California has many of them. Uh, they're, they're spread all over the country. Uh, we've, for wine, we've used several different barrel brokers because the, the wineries themselves uh, like to sell it off to them. They typically don't like to sell direct to consumer or, or other companies. So they sell them to barrel brokers is what I guess you could call them. And they have warehouses full of freshly dumped wine, whiskey, scotch, rye, all kinds of barrels that you can buy. Um, but for the, for the whiskey, we like to typically go straight from the distillery. But yeah, they're all over the place. That's amazing. I don't think someone goes out of college and they're like, I know, uh, even knows of that profession. Uh, well, I shouldn't even talk. I'm how old and I don't even know, didn't right. even know such a thing existed. But it makes sense. I mean, in business where there's a need, you know, someone's going to find a way to, to make money off it. So right. that's crazy. So 
How okay? So let's talk about the name Oak and Bond and how you guys came up with it, as well as your packaging and stuff. And uh, what before we do that, as you get into answering my question, tell everyone where they can find you, what your website is, how they can get their hands on your coffee, uh, and where they can find you on social media. Because I think that everyone should really see your packaging and your design. I think it's one. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. It's top tier. Um, and anyone out there who's in the food world knows how hard it is to, to source and, and do packaging. So I really want to emphasize it and, and talk about it and hear the story about it because I think what you guys have done is incredible. Right. Well, I really appreciate it. Um, and as far as finding us on social media, you can find us at Okenbon Coffee. Uh, as far as purchasing Okenbon, you can, you can do it at our website, okenbonkoffee.com. Uh, and then we're also available on Amazon. Um, and, I, and I will say... You know, the one question we get is, is your coffee fresh that we buy on Amazon? And that the answer is absolutely yes. We're, we're constantly shipping uh, fresh coffee to Amazon and then immediately it's sold uh, via uh, fulfillment by Amazon. So if you're a Prime member, you can buy our coffee and get it in two days. Uh, and then, I mean, if you buy it from our website, you'll get it in within two to three days as well. We ship all priorities. So yeah, OkenbondCoffee.com and Amazon, you can find us. So I'll start with the first part of your question. How do we come up with the name? So we, we thought about the name for a while. Like, what do we go with? We had, we had a couple different names we were thinking about, but it was, it was something like, how do we combine uh, our love of coffee, our love of, of whiskey? Because we had this idea. Uh, how do we combine this love of both into really a name that's, that's kind of unique? Uh, and, and I apologize that my wife, uh, she couldn't be on the podcast today. Uh, she, her, she's, she's a co-founder of the business. It's it, her and I own Oak and Bond, we, we started the whole process up, but we wanted to come up with a name that, that really could tie in, you know, us as a couple, the, the oak aging that we have for our coffee. Uh, so that's how we came up with Oak. And then as far as Bond, uh, you know, we're, we're, a, we're a husband and wife team here that, that smarter, started a, a really fun small business. Um, so that was part of it. And then in the, the bourbon world, they have a thing, it's called Bottled and Bond Bourbon. And it's a special set of rules that you have to go by. Um, way back in the day, they, they, the government created uh, the Bottled and Bond Act, which meant you had to follow their rules. You had to uh, age your coffee in government-owned barrels in their warehouses over their watch because you know, way back in the early 1900s, late to 1800s, people were making their own whiskey, and it was making people sick. So the government saw this, and they knew that they needed to create a way uh, to really make sure that people weren't getting sick on on the product, so they they created bottled and bond bourbon, and you can still find that today. And it's it's really just a set of rules that the government uh, that they make um, that these distillers have to follow. So that was a really cool play on words that were a husband and wife team that that created this really fun uh, specialty coffee company, and then tie it in with the bourbon world. So that's kind of how we came up with with Oak and Bond. I you know I love that story, and I just made a note for myself. You know. For the listeners out there, uh, Justin sends out a list of questions just to kind of let people know, like, what we might ask and where the conversation might go and whatnot, to get them thinking a little bit and whatnot. So I just wrote down fun facts because I have to say, like, being a part of this whole thing, that's my favorite part is when people give, you know, little tidbits that you get to learn something, you're like, that's so cool. I didn't know that. So thank you for sharing that. I, I lo really loved that. And so, but I definitely want to hear, because the other part of Justin's question had to do with your packaging because it really is just so unique and it's so well done. So tell everyone a little bit about that. Right. So that was a long process. That was part of the 
that was part of the R and D phase that not only when we were, we were cupping coffees and, and figuring out what, what, how to age properly, our thought is, you know, if we're going to do this, we have to be unique and we have to be able to tie at the time we had the, the bourbon available at the time. So we had to find a way to tie our coffee and the coffee world together with the whiskey world. And, and a way that we thought we could do this is, is by very, unique packaging packaging i don't know that i've seen out there by anybody else it was something that we kind of came up with uh for coffee at least so you know when you think of really high-end bourbons or scotches for example some of them come in really nice decorative canisters so our thought is we've got to be able to do this too for for coffee uh so what we did is you know we sourced the coffee we came up with the design um a fun little another fun fact is <laughs> i am still a licensed professional engineer uh, so I I'm, I, re- I really like to use AutoCAD and, and design software for structural engineering. Uh, so I was kind of doodling around myself and, and coming up with the design for the packaging. And then we, we found a really great designer out of Brooklyn and we were able to work with him really well. And, you know, we were kind of bouncing ideas off of the, you know, off of the AutoCAD design that I came up with and, and some of the really cool aspects that, that he came up with. Uh, and we were ba- able to tie them together. But our focus was how do we tie in the the bourbon, the whiskey, and the coffee world together into one. So that's how we came up with a really cool decorative canister. Um, and then inside that, we, of course, put it in a proper valved coffee bag um, that's sealed fresh. So it's not just in the canister itself. Uh, we actually do uh, put it in the, the really nice um, proper coffee bag so that we keep your coffee fresh. Well, I also love the detail on it where you guys have like the, is it a band or whatever? Like you would see on a, on a liquor bottle, you know how they have like yeah, the so that was, tape or that whatever. Was kind so of cool. Yeah, that was to pay homage to the old tax strip labels that they used to have on, on whiskey bottles. Is that what bottles. that is? Yeah, so that was kind of to pay homage to that because we really thought that that was a cool aspect that nowadays you just don't see um, out anymore. I think they they probably stopped doing that in maybe the 1980s. You know, it's um, so funny. They- I have lots of bottles in my liquor cabinet that look like that. My dad um, owned a package uh, retail liquor store for my whole life. Well, not not anymore. But anyway, and so, you know, he still has, you know, stuff from when he had his store. And so if I'm yeah. ever like, oh, I need a bottle of whiskey, he's like, oh, take something from the basement. And I like take it and it has that on it. So I didn't realize it didn't yeah. exist anymore. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, and that's uh, we we think that's a really cool aspect to it. So yeah, we wanted to tie in the kind of vintage feel, and it kind of goes back to that bond portion of the name. You know, the bottle and bond act came from I think it was like 1897. So back then, that's what you had. You had all those tax strips on the bottles, and it looked really cool, kind of vintagey, and that that's kind of what we wanted to use it for. Yeah, it's so interesting how some government regulation uh, actually made the bottles look so cool, and now it's something <laughs> that we can like throw back as a vintage thing on. And now you guys use it on your packaging. I didn't know that that's what it was, uh, honestly, yeah. until you just said it. But I do. Deborah and I were like, we literally your packaging came in the mail, and those in the audience, we try to have the people on the podcast send us samples so we can try it, but also take photographs and stuff for part of our social media push, but. I mean, literally, your four um, packages that came in the, dip, the four different varieties you sent us of coffee have not left the centerpiece of our kitchen since they came two weeks ago. It's and like, I don't want to break there. the seal. It's so cool. I know. <laughs> and everyone that comes into our house, guests and, and friends and family, everyone makes a comment about how great the packaging is, which is why. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. 
That's what? awesome. That's great to hear. Yeah, we want it. We want um, all of our customers, friends and family, any anybody that you know is part of the Oakenbahn family, and we we consider anybody that that purchases Oakenbahn friends with us on social <laughs> media. We we consider you everybody uh, part of the Oakenbahn family, but we want you to be to be proud to display not only on your coffee bar but your whiskey or wine bar alike. So it's something that that we want you to be able to be proud of to display with with your other bottles. And so tell us a little bit about that. How, I mean, when did you actually start the business and what, what has happened since and how do you go to market with it um, once you have a product or you don't have a brick and mortar, do you? It's all over the internet and, and direct shipping or do you guys actually have a location? No, so we don't currently have a brick and mortar store. We, we, that is, that's something that we're working on and you remember those barrel stays I told you we were hold, holding on to and we were going to make something cool out of? We might be able to incorporate it into a brick-and-mortar store. So stay tuned on that one. But uh, it's something that we're definitely working on. But, yeah, right now we are, we are 100% um, an online business. Uh, we ship direct to customer, and then we, we ship through Amazon as well. And so where are you storing these barrels? Is it like, I mean, do you actually have a location in a warehouse or is this the, um, are you guys starting like the typical entrepreneur like Deborah and I with this podcast in our garage uh, studio? Um, well, well, it's, yeah, it started, it started way back like that. Now we have a, a facility that we have the barrels and, and we do our roasting and everything. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of how we started. We, I mean, we started as a really small, it was, it was an idea that we started in our house and then it just kept growing. Um, and it's, and it's been really cool. So we launched the business in June of 2018. So we're coming up on one year right now. And um, so it's been, a, it's been a really exciting year. You mentioned that you're an engineer. So are you still a practicing engineer or is this taken, this is now your full-time job? So that's a great question. Uh, people ask me that all the time. And yes, I am still a practicing engineer uh, during the day. Uh, and then at night, all weekend long, you know, every other <laughs> spare time that I have is is all on coffee. So it's it's been really fun. I can't say that it hasn't been extremely busy because it 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 has been. I mean, it's been a great time. But you know, we're always doing coffee on our free time. So it, it's it's really fun. It's really fun sourcing new coffee, getting new barrels, doing events, talking to you guys. Um, but yeah, so I'm still a practicing structural engineer, um, and it's definitely a question I get from people all the time. When are you going to quit that and and do coffee all the time. And it's, it's something that we're considering right now. So we're working on it, but yeah, I, I still am a practicing engineer. And so you mentioned your wife is your co-founder and, and partner in all this. So I got to imagine your quality time now is, is working with the coffee company. So tell us about that and how your guys' relationship has grown uh, because of uh, being an entrepreneur. I got to imagine you get closer because now you've added into the mix of your relationship, a whole different aspect. Right, right. And you know, I, I was always somebody, I always had the mindset that I didn't think I would be able to work directly with my wife. I mean, I love her to death, but I figured, you know, you'd want your own time, which, you know, we still do have our own time. But I mean, it's, it's been great for us. She's a really strong woman. Um, I, I'm, I like to have control of something and I like <laughs> to be able to drive something to a finish line. But, but she is able to pick up everything that I can't do because, man, there's sure a lot that I can't do. And we're a really good team together. Uh, we work really well together and it's, it's, it really has made our relationship strong. Now I can't, I can't say that we've never had an argument here or there and you know, it's maybe human. an evening we, yeah, maybe an evening that, that you don't really like each other, but Hey, <laughs> you know, that's a relationship. So, I mean, we've really gl- grown closer. It, it's been great. It's made our marriage stronger. I can definitely say that. 
but it's been fun. I mean, it's she's anything that that I'm not good at, she's able to pick up on. She's she's really strong herself. So it's been a great team. So do you guys have areas that are definitely like you do a certain thing and she does a certain thing, or are you guys pretty interchangeable? Uh, so pretty interchangeable for the most part. Um, I, I will say that all the writing on all of our labels is, is Lauren's handwriting. I don't think anybody would want to see my handwriting. So <laughs> I leave that up to her. So she fills out all of our, our labels, uh, you know, for the batch number, for the bag number, for the, you know, where we're getting our, our barrels. We list all those by hand because, because they do change. We get barrels in all the time. So, um, yeah, I leave all the writing up to her, but everything else, it's, it's pretty interchangeable. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been nice. So do you guys have to, when you said you were, you write down lot numbers and all that stuff, is that a requirement for your food safety as part of your HACCP plan? Or do you just do that purely for your own knowledge? No, and no, it's, it's not for food safety at all. Now we do list a a best buy date on the back uh, of our packaging. Uh, but no, that's, that's strictly for, we want our customers to know exactly everything about their coffee that we can tell them. Um, just like a lot of these, uh, uh, single barrel offerings for bourbon. They they list what the batch number is. They list how many bottles were in the batch, um, and we think that we think that that's a nice touch for ours because you know you might want to collect different batches. You might have found one that's been pretty good. If if somebody has a batch number that they really enjoyed uh, and they want any more information, I mean, please reach out to us. Uh, we our email is sales at okamoncoffee You can find it on our website, but we're happy to give you any more information that that you may want. But we just find that, that that's even more transparent as far as what our product is, and we want to share it with as much information as we can. It's also really a cool component, right? It kind of mimics the wine world or even, you know, going into bourbons and stuff. You know, there's aged bourbons and whatnot. So you kind of could have that same thing. You know, there's years that are better years for certain wines and whatnot. So it kind of mimics that too, which is a cool, you know, marriage of how they mirror each other. I like that. Absolutely. And so I think it's another thing I just want to, excuse me, touch upon with the audience is, on this podcast, we've seen, you know, we've seen now artisan um, ciders and we're seeing artisan kombuchas and and things like that. And now I would call it artisan coffees just because they're so unique. And what we're seeing in the world is younger generations are less, their their palate is becoming fuller, I would say, and, and more uh, diverse compared to when I was a kid, for sure. Um, you know, coffee was coffee and... Uh, you know, alcohol we were drinking was probably natural light or natty light or whatever. And now you have all these micro brews and you have these unique vodka companies are coming up and coffee companies and kombuchas. And it's not only about consuming alcohol as college students receive these college students like their unique coffees and like their kombuchas as part of their social experience. It's not about drinking solely as their social experience or or maybe it always was i just missed that part but it was um (laughs) it's it's really awesome and i think you're really on to something which is the um which is people's wanting to be invested in the products that they're buying i mean we used to talk about it in marketing classes in college and stuff like that and people you know loyalty to a product but now it's like you're saying like okay i like this type of coffee i like what oak and doing i like the packaging and it's becoming part of our households really i mean 
like I said, it's part of my household right now. We've had the thing sitting in our kitchen for, for two weeks now. It'll probably stay there for another at least two weeks <laughs> because, I mean, we, it's really this thing and it's uh, it's sitting adjacent to our alcohol cabinet and wine bar in our kitchen, but it the way it matches together and, and the way it looks, I just love the marketing and the packaging and I can't emphasize the audience enough to take a look at it because it is so unique and so cool and a throwback to vintage on one hand, but you know, a, a tribute to where we're going in food and beverage and packaging and you know, I can tell, Brian, that you guys have put your heart and your soul into it, and it's a reflection of you guys as we talk to you. So that's really awesome. The next question I have is, so would it? you have all this social media, which I think is great, and these photos and these people that are actually sharing your photos, which is how I came across you guys and asked you guys to be on the podcast. I mean, they're one, they're high quality photos, but it looks like there's groups that are social clubs or, or um, male clubs, as you, I guess we would call them, that are picking up your coffee. So how is all of that happening? Is it organic or is it something you guys are doing and taking to market? No, it's, it's definitely a, um, it's definitely a thing that we are, are pushing ourselves. Like we love taking pictures for our product. Uh, we take the large majority of our photos uh, but we do like to share, you know, other other friends, other Oakenbond family members out there that are are enjoying our coffee. Uh, yeah, we're we're a part of a couple uh, whiskey clubs that they like to include in their events. Uh, it pairs really well with not only bourbon and whiskey, but really well with cigars. Like the the cigar community, and this was this was kind of surprising me. Like I enjoy having a cigar from time to time myself, um, but it's really exploded in the cigar community itself. So that's been great, and people love to have. Uh, brew up an espresso with their, either our bourbon or, or, or even our wine barrel aged coffees. So, you know, it's, it's really exploded that way, but it's, it's something that we enjoy to do. It's, it's something we enjoy to talk to everybody on social media. Um, and it's something that we're pushing and we, and we like to do that. It's, it's just something that we really enjoy. So yeah, we, we enjoy posting pictures. We enjoy sharing it with people. And we, we, we love resharing pictures uh, when, when they, then they post our products. So are your products also in other stores? Like I'm thinking of, I can picture a cigar store that's uh, nearby. And so like, do you try to get into stores like that or are you purely online? No, no. So we do a big uh, online or a a big wholesale market as well. Um, We've got, I think we're in 10 states now, um, all over the place. Most of them, they're like either either specialty. We've got them a lot in a really high end uh, liquor stores. Um, we're working on a couple restaurants and cigar shops right now. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a wide variety of stores that we're in, but, but it's, it's ones that we're proud to be in. And that's definitely a, a big portion of our business. And how are you targeting that? Like, how do you, is that something you guys individually are doing, like picking up the phone, cold calling and being like, telling them about your product, sending samples, that type of thing? Or do you have a broker who's helping you? Uh, so as far as us reaching out, that's, that's, uh, either Lauren and I will directly reach out to them. Um, send them product, like you said, you know, share some of our photos and, and show them what we're working with. But we get a lot. Now it's probably 50-50 that people reach out to us. That we love your coffee, kind of like you guys. Right. You know, we love we love your packaging. We'd love to try it. And we'd love to have it in uh, uh, in our shop. We were actually in Ohio last week and uh, we stopped by. Uh, it was um, it was a whiskey bar just north of Columbus. And we were talking to him and I was talking to the owner and and I'm telling him about our, our coffee because he had a bunch of really nice uh, single barrel picks for his store. And he's like, you know what? We don't actually sell coffee here, but one of my best friends has a coffee shop down the street. 
let me call him up and see if he can come come down and talk to you. Two seconds later, he comes down, <laughs> talks to us. We're giving him coffee. We're brewing coffee. We're drinking whiskey. I mean, it was just a great night. And I think within a week, we'll probably have our coffee, you know, within his coffee shop. And he has a, he's got really good Italian gelato and all kinds of stuff. So it's just reaching out to people, just kind of telling people our story and, and sharing our product. Yeah, I've got to imagine just because I'm an entrepreneur and here's where, you know, as you said before, the relationship between you and your wife, Deborah and I's relationship is I'm, I'm the dreamer. I go out and I'm exploring 30,000 different options and she's the one that keeps the train on the rails, <laughs> basically. But the thing yeah. about it is, I mean, coffee, the quality of your coffee, number one, and the flavor, I mean, there's potential there, like you, I mean, to be infused into to ice creams and cold brewed and i think there's this thing out there that's seeing and i'm i'm not obviously trying to put anything in your head because it's your plan and your company but i can i'm just like this is an amazing concept especially with the packaging and the loyalty and the club concept that's coming up now and you know there's whiskey clubs i mean there's no reason there couldn't be a whole club like there is a wine club around your products and your coffee since it does switch batches and it does switch barrels so i mean not I, I'm not obviously it's your own plan, but I was just like, wow, there is so much potential that my mind literally is sitting here about to explode in the studio <laughs> because I'm like, it's amazing. The other point is is what you talked about is that this thing that happens in food and beverage world, and I don't know of any other industry that this happens um, that I've been in, um, and I've been in some various other industries and had other subsidiaries outside IT. Uh, sports management and things like that. But there's this weird thing that happens in food that you can go anywhere and start talking to anyone about food and you can make connections and relationships. And Deborah and I travel all over the world and it's kind of crazy the conversations we get into in random places with people that are also in food or about food and beverage and about what we do and about what they do and some of the relationships that come out of it. Um, like, so I think that's amazing. So, but your product definitely sells itself. Like I said, like my creativity towards your product is because, you know, the idea of it is amazing. So I really want the audience to take a look at what you guys are doing and anyone out there who's trying to be an entrepreneur, what you guys have done to coffee. You know, it's like, okay, Starbucks has done this thing with coffee and you're like, oh, is it going to, where can coffee go from here? And you're like, oh, well, maybe the industry's saturated or whatever. But then I see what you guys are doing, and I'm like, okay, this is exactly what you're talking about. You're carving out a niche, and now that niche is becoming more than just a niche. In my opinion, it's going to expand because no one else is doing what you're doing and has put all the pieces together the way you are. And to imitate what you guys are doing in your heart and soul is impossible. So props to that, and I'm getting off on a little bit of a tangent, but... Uh, you can tell how excited I am because when someone comes up with an idea that's so unique and disruptive, I'm like, okay, this is someone's on to something here. And, and I'm like, uh, so, wow. Um, I don't, <laughs> I mean, I, and, no, 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 that was good. And I, I agree with you. The, the coffee community and the, the coffee culture, you could say, is, is ever growing now. And it's, it's something that, I mean, if you think back, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, to me, it really emulates kind of what the what the craft beer market did, and now you really do have a craft coffee um, sector, and, it, and it's people are doing all kinds of great stuff, and there's coffee coming from everywhere, and they're coming from these really small farms. It's kind of like wine too. I mean, some of the best wines come from these very remote, small farms, 
in you know places that you wouldn't expect and it's you know and it's the same way with coffee now like we're, we're able to find and source really good coffees from these farms that are you know they're not very big but they're just creating an incredible product and it's something that you know their family has been working on for years and years and years and decades that you know they just they haven't been able to get it out to the people but the the, the fact that they produce such a great product you know we want to be able to share that too so you know especially with this this newest line that we're coming out our, our non-barrel age line i guess you could say or our specialty line of of blends and single origins, we've we've found some really fantastic single origins. We're going to share, um, and they're coming from really incredible farms. But it is to me, it's it's very it's very close to kind of how the the craft beer market exploded. Now you have this craft coffee. You know, not only is it like us with the with the barrel aged, but you know, there, there's people doing all kinds of incredible stuff with coffee, and it's it's just really fun to be a part of. Yeah, and I don't know if other industries are like this, um, just because I've been in food and beverage for my whole life, mostly. Like I said, I did other subsidiaries and stuff here and there. But what happens is a company like Starbucks explodes a market and grows their market. And it's almost like it becomes so big, there's this natural elasticity that then pulls the market back into the small uh, for lack of a better term, mom and pop type concepts that then grow within the market. So Starbucks educates everyone on coffee. Everyone gets addicted to coffee. Bam, there's this market now. And so, but then there's this weird elasticity that comes back where people are like, okay, you know what? I don't want to go to a chain for my coffee anymore. I want my unique coffee that's true to me, that makes me unique as an individual. And we're seeing that in a lot of different areas beer, uh, tea. Uh, coffee, as we talked about, we're starting to see it in wines and, and alcohol. We're starting to see a lot of boutique vodkas and, and whiskeys and things like that in the United States. And now we're having this whole thing where, you know, it's a new industry, so no one's really exploded it, but it sort of complements the ciders and, and the beer industry is that the fermentation industry that's coming around beverages. And so just so the audience knows, I think, you know, it's something to pay attention to when an industry really gets really big and you think it's a saturated and there's a Starbucks or a Pete's coffee on every corner. What happens is a natural economic pullback in by consumers that, or a generation, the next generation is like, okay, I saw my mom drink Starbucks all every day of her life. I don't want Starbucks every day of my life. I want something else that's true to me, like an Oak and Bond coffee. And there becomes markets within that, that are hugely important. And just following trends and seeing the way things go. We're seeing it right now. I mean, look at hamburgers. Everything was fast food hamburgers. And then all of a sudden you had your niche hamburger joints start popping up. Or, you know, we had all these restaurants everywhere and now we have these food trucks that are popping up. So whenever an area expands really rapidly, you think there's no more room to go, but that just leaves so much room for niches and people to really get a foothold. And a generation coming up that doesn't want to do it the same way as their parents did. And that, that just happens in marketing. So Absolutely. I no, wanted that's a to really ask you point. too, Brian, like you're talking about possibly bricks and mortar. And so right now you have your four different, I guess, would you call them flavors? And so do you guys have your eye on some other products to add to your line? Yeah. So, so that's funny you asked that. We, I think by the time this podcast launches, we'll have our scotch barrel aged coffee uh, available. <laughs> We're, uh, I think we're going to be roasted next week. So we're going to have, we're going to launch that hopefully next week, maybe the week after. And then close behind that, we've been getting a lot of, um, questions and comments and people that want an espresso, uh, bourbon barrel aid. So something that's got a little bit darker flavor, darker roast on it. So 
within the next, I would say, month or two, we'll definitely have our scotch whiskey barrel aged and we'll have our espresso uh, bourbon barrel aged as well. That's exciting. And have you guys given any contemplation to making a ready-to-drink product? Like Uh, having it already brewed and cold brewed? Like a bottle cold brew or something? Yeah, that's definitely definitely something that we've been kind of investing our time in. And hopefully within the next year we'll have that because that is, you know, that's – it's really popular right now, and, and people have been asking us, well, we'd love it you know, if we could just grab it out of the freezer, refrigerator <laughs> right. and go. Yeah. Um, and yeah, absolutely. That's something that we're looking at as well. Oh, and I can't wait to see what your packaging will look like. My mind's going all over the place with things you guys could do with that. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, look, it'll look pretty cool, that's for sure. I'm sure. Well, coffee is an interesting thing. I didn't actually start drinking coffee until I was about 30 years old, and even that, I didn't really understand coffee quality or anything like that, and then... As Deborah and I started dating and her quality of coffee and making sure there's flavor, I started getting a real understanding of, of coffee. And, you know, I'm just like, oh, what's, you know, ignorance is one of those things where you don't really understand the complexities of coffee and how it's grown and, and how it makes a difference in the flavors. And now that this you're doing it in barrels and, and what that does to it. I just think it's so amazing that there's this whole industry out there around it. And so, you know, one of those things, anyone who's out there that just drinks coffee every day, I think it's important to get an education on coffee and try it because there's this whole crazy world out there. I mean, it's like different wines. Okay. It's the same thing. And and you don't need to get drunk every night. You can try different (laughs) coffee every day. And, um, right. And, and not have to worry about opening uh, a bottle after bottle in the same way as wine, although that's I think that's awesome too. And as someone who collects things, because I'm just naturally that way and, and like enjoying things, the coffee to me is an, an awesome thing too, because now that you try different ones, you actually can like coffee even better than you ever thought. It's not just something you drink in the morning. It's actually something, you know, for me, it was to get my caffeine every morning so I'd stay awake. But it's now it's becoming something I enjoy, not for just the caffeine intake. And I don't put anything in my coffee. I don't like cream. I don't like anything. I like just the flavor of coffee. So right. that's it's awesome that you're adding to it. So I want to take a step yeah. back, Brian, and ask you some questions because you said you handpicked the barrels. And so yep. ha- do you actually have to travel then on weekends around your job? So tell us how you go about picking a barrel. What makes a good barrel? What makes a bad barrel? And how do you know which one is the best? So you, you don't know until you really you don't know until you get your batch out of it. Now, the fact that we're, we're picking really good distilleries to work with, um, we know that they're, they're always going to put out a good product. So, you know, what we do is, is we'll, we'll take a trailer down there, fill a trailer up uh, and drive it back. But we'll do it. You know, we'll typically take uh, maybe a Thursday or a Friday off um, and drive down to Kentucky. It's not it's not too bad of a drive. Um, and then, yeah, we stop at the we stop at the uh, the distillery and they've got a whole room full of barrels that they've poured out and we can go in and pick whatever we want. Now you can go through all the barrels are are age stated. So they all have, you know, when it was when it was bottled or when it was barreled the day that it was barreled. And then it's typically dumped and, and stored in that in their storage area for probably a day or two. So, you know, that pretty much the dates um, on point of how old it is. And we, and we list the age so we, we can get uh, the, the year statement for each one, but yeah, so we'll get, we'll go down there, take a trailer, fill the trailer up and, and head on back. 
You know, I wanted to ask you something in a similar vein is in terms of the beans, because you're, I mean, getting your beans, you said Brazil, I think you also said Guatemala. Um, and so you're now doing international business. So one, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that learning curve. But I also wanted to know in terms of, did you guys actually travel to them to, to see them? And how much of, you know, how much of it's in the bean and how much of it's in the roasting? So kind of a big questions for you right there. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, those are good questions too. So, so we don't we don't actually go to the coffee farms um, to purchase. There's actually really good, reputable uh, green coffee sourcing companies here in the United States and, and and companies that are located in other portions of the world, but they have offices here in the U.S. So, so what they'll do is is well, what we'll do is we'll contact them and we'll say this is you know this is what we're looking for, and and usually their staff and and their coffee sourcers that they have you know, we'll be able to work with you. And I, and I, and I really give them a rundown of, you know, these are the profiles that I'm looking in, in the coffee. You know, I want something that has these notes that this has this kind of mouthfeel that's this acidity and they can kind of focus in on what we're looking for. And then what they'll do is they'll send us samples and we'll go through and we'll cup. I mean, I, I don't know how many, co- how many different coffees we've cupped in the last week, probably, probably around 40 to 50 just in the last week. Um, <laughs> so we'll get a, we'll get, we'll get samples in. We'll, we'll roast them here. We've got a little home roaster. Um, that we use at the office. And then what you need to do is you, you let them degas for a day or two, and then you, you go through and cup them. And that's, I don't know if you guys have seen it before, but that's when you see people slurping coffee and they make the very obscene slurping sound. <laughs> right. Um, so we do a lot of that. Uh, we do a lot of coffee cupping uh, and it's, re- it's really nice. And, and that's really, you know, and you continue, you continue to develop your palate. You can continue to develop, you know, what kind of flavors you want in that coffee. But it's, it's amazing. It's amazing to me that, you know, you get a coffee, you get, let's say you get five coffees from the same region. You get coffees from in that region. You have farms that are, you know, significantly like close, you know, very close to each other. They might be next to each other. And just by how they process the beans, be is it a fully washed, is it a pulp natural, how they process that bean, it tastes, it could taste considerably different. And it's, it's crazy that the profiles that you get just from not only the location, the elevation, is it under shade? Is it in the sun? How are they processing the bean? It's crazy that the amount of factors that go into it that affect that profile. Well, and what um, a so huge amazing, learning curve. Yeah, that you guys had to go through. Yeah, in I was the just going to ask that question is what I mean, it's I mean, I know that I'm learning since the two weeks that you sent us the coffee because I'm now understanding and doing my own research. But what was your learning curve? As Deborah said, I mean, it's a huge learning curve. Is it something you've always been interested in? Or when you guys decided you were going to get into this, you started learning as you went? Because I don't think many people out there even knew that tasting and sipping coffee and that the region, as you said, matters and and the technique matters um, and how it's dried or, you know, uh, gosh, I can't even imagine all the different variations. But how did you guys go about getting educated in it? Well, so well, I'll take it way back here. And, you know, I, I probably started drinking coffee like anybody else. In college, I needed I needed just the caffeine punch to get me through class, get me through the exam. So, you know, I'm drinking like Folgers. I'm drinking not that Folgers is bad. I mean, I know that it may be Folgers is listening. Great product. But I, I, I we started to think to or I started to think to myself, man, there's got to be other stuff out there that we haven't tried. So then that was, you know, we started hitting up all the local little coffee shops and then that developed into, well, is there any way that I could get coffee myself? So 
and and start roasting it. And that was about the time that we had the idea for the business. So, you know, we were going to different coffee shops, buying coffee online for, for a long time. And then this kind of came around and I, and the thought came in my head, well, you know, if we're going to do this as a business, can I roast my own coffee? And, and, you know, so that's, that's kind of what we did is we got a home roaster. We started ordering samples. We started talking with these green sourcing companies and ordering coffee in and really starting to develop the palate. Um, as we're developing the idea for the company. So we've been having good coffee for a long time. Um, we've been roasting for probably close to two years now. Um, and really the, the palate continues to develop. And, and then you start to find out what you like. Do you like a pulp natural? Do you like a natural better? Do you like fully washed? So, and it depends on as far as I think you had asked, you know, how does that flavor pair with the barrel? Does the barrel take, you know, give more to me? I think it's a, it's a real, I think it's a 50-50 push because the barrel is bringing in really good notes of those caramels, brown sugars from from the bourbon barrel, for example. Right. And then you're also pairing that nicely with the, you know, the full mouthfeel. You get a, a nice heavy chocolate. You Maybe you get some ch- like dark cherry. You get some of those notes and they just pair really well with that coffee. So it's just something over time that we've developed um, and it just keeps expanding. So we, we really enjoy it. And so... How are you, I mean, what is your plans for the future? I mean, you obviously, you guys are growing. You're, you're not even a year old as a company. And in my opinion, you're having a lot of success because, I mean, I see it out there. Obviously, I found you guys and I see other people sharing it. And, and I follow everyone that's on this podcast quite closely. So what, I mean, we talked a little bit about the brick and mortar. We talked about you're adding a fifth coffee um, flavor to your profile, but what is, and, and we talked a little bit about Cole Bros, but ideally, you know, where do you guys want to be two to three years from now or even five years from now? Do you, do you have an idea of what that is? And do you guys talk about that? Yeah, we talk about that a lot. I mean, so, so not only are we having just more barrel age options coming out, but like I said, we expect that our specialty line, our blends and our single origins, um, we expect that to do pretty well. We're going to push that kind of like we are now. And, and we hope to one, have like a brick and mortar store that I was telling you about and, and really expand the, the roastery and expand our business in general. And, and hopefully we can get into some specialty, some large, uh, larger specialty, uh, food chains, restaurants, um, and you know, bars, restaurants, uh, cigar bars, etc. So we're just trying to expand on what we have now. Um, because we really think that, you know, with the feedback that we've got, we really think that it can be something great and we, we just want to push it to see, uh, see, you know, see what we can do in a couple of years. But yeah, we, we, we plan to expand and, and try to reach out and, and offer our coffee to more and more people. And so do you go to market? Are you the one doing all the sales? Do you guys have a broker or is it something that you're taking on? Um, we may have sort of touched upon it, but I'm, I wasn't positive. So even the wholesale market, is that something you guys are all doing yourselves? Yeah, so we're doing. Yeah, we're doing all the sales uh, right now. We don't work with with any brokers, you said, or um, uh, or anyone else as far as sourcing our coffee out there for wholesale. But you know, that's something that we're going to need to do in the future if we do ex- if we expect to expand it um, like we want to. So no, currently right now it's it's all us. Um, we've got some other people that help out, uh, which is really nice. But yeah, in the future we'll definitely have to to explore that avenue. And I want to tell you, um, I know Deborah's got a question here, but just, um, and so I'm going to repeat it because we brought it up on another podcast, but there's, I don't know if you use it already, but there is a pod, uh, uh, sorry, uh, 
uh, software for wholesaling of any food products that we just heard about called Blue Cart. And it's where the wholesalers can actually come in and they have their own numbers and all of their you know, deals and discounts as being a wholesaler is in there and it can actually work just like ordering online. So I wanted to throw that out to you just as something to share. I don't know, you may have already found something, but there's this whole world out there that I just discovered that, you know, people can go online, your wholesalers and order online and then you can ship to them or, or deliver orders that seems to simplify people's lives that we've talked about on other episodes on the podcast. So I want to throw that out there. It's called blue card. I'm not saying it's the only solution, but I just thought it was interesting. Maybe you're already using something. No, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. And that's, that's something that we need to invest a little bit more time in to, to research. And, but yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. Couldn't agree more. Okay. My question is totally off topic, but it's a little bit, <laughs> just, I want to know, like, is there a preferred way of brewing? Like, do you use a French press or do you just use like a Mr. Coffee or do you put it through an espresso machine? Like what's your preferred method? Right. So you, you can brew Oakenbond, however, whichever way is easiest or which way you like best. Uh, personally for me, because we're typically on the go a lot, I'm a big French press guy. I enjoy a French press. I've got it refined well enough that, that I, that I can brew a very consistent cup every time. Um, so I prefer the French press on the weekends. Um, we'll do some espressos. We've got a mocha pot here that that we'll use from time to time. Um, and then and then obviously pour overs are always great too. But as far as as far as ease, I mean, I guess right. the the time allotment. I enjoy a French press. I just think it gives you a really good cup every time. Okay, and then another one is beyond like drinking it as a regular cup of coffee in the morning type of thing. Maybe you could share some of your favorite ways to use your coffee beyond just a black cup of coffee. Like, do you like to actually add a particular bourbon to it? Do you like to pour it over your ice cream? Do you like? Do you have some recipe stuff that you want to throw out there that are some of your own personal favorites? Yeah. So, so if you take a look at our social media, uh, we really do enjoy making coffee cocktails. Um, cause who doesn't like a Friday afternoon, like a happy hour or a Saturday. Right. Right. So we really do. And we, we love incorporating them into, to cocktails. Uh, we're, we're friends with a couple, um, cocktail guys here in, in Pittsburgh and they've given us some really good inspiration. They're even using them in their posts too. So I, I really enjoy coffee cocktails. I know this this will go up uh, at a future date, but this weekend is St. Patrick's Day weekend, so uh, we'll have a nice uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day themed coffee cocktail today. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's what we like to do: coffee on your ice cream. That, I mean, that's great. It, I would prefer to do it as like an espresso. Right. Um, and then there's some really good like uh, bourbon creams that every once in a while taste pretty good. If you want something really sweet that you can mix in, but. Yeah, we like coffee cocktails a lot, and that's something that we feel passionately about. Yeah, I love it when people take their products and they start throwing out all these other ideas. You know, we had someone on here with honey or, you know, different. I, I mean, just it's interesting to see all the ways that the products can be used and how creative it gets. You know, there's a contest that gets talked a lot about on this podcast called The Flavor of Georgia, which is actually next week, which is where Justin and I are headed. But, And it's really cool because these artisan uh food entrepreneurs come in and they have their products and then how they display it is always so interesting to me. And, uh, so I always love when, you know, you get the, not just the raw product that you're talking about, but the little derivatives of it, because it's, you know, definitely gets the creative mind going. You're like, Oh, that'd be so good. I should do that. And Oh, right. Yeah. And then we, we love, yeah, we, like I was saying, we love our cup cocktails. So any way that we can <laughs> use it, and if anybody else has ideas too, we're, we're happy to incorporate. So 
let us know. Um, but yeah, coffee cocktails are a big one that, that we like to use our coffee with. And so just to get back on the entrepreneur topic, um, do you or your wife come from an entrepreneurial back- background? Because you've taken obviously a big step to be entrepreneurs and it's not easy and it's cash consuming and time consuming. Um, so do you guys come from that background or is it something you guys just came together to on your own? So tell us a little bit about that. Um, if you don't mind. Yeah. So neither one of us, neither one of our families, um, that I know of, uh, have a business. Uh, it, no, there's no entrepreneurs that I know of in my, my family. I come from, uh, half my family is very, very blue collar. Half of the other is, is athletic and, uh, and a little bit of white collar. So, I think I take a lot of the the blue collar aspect of of just working hard, and that's kind of how I grew up. I mean, if I wanted to survive in the family, you had to to grow up, and you had to work, and you had to pull your fair share. So, you know, I, I learned at a young age that you got to work hard um, to to be successful. And then, for me, I, I really like to be in control of of my product, of my work, of of whatever I'm working on. And that was from at a young age doing class projects and doing stuff in college. But I like to be in control, and I find that. You know, when I have my hands in something and I have to be able to control something and, and lead something myself, that it tends to be uh, successful and go pretty well. So the fact that we had this idea, it was something that, I, you know, I always wanted to own something of my own. Like I enjoy the professional world and, and working for a company, but, you know, to own something of your own, to be able to be your boss, to be able to do your own thing. If I want to wake up and I want to make a new coffee, if I want to make a new variety, I can do that. And it's something that's really cool to me that I've always wanted to own my own thing. And now that we do have like a nice little small business, it's it's really enjoyable, something that we can kind of, of drive ahead and, and really control ourselves. So I, I like it a lot. That's that's kind of why I got into it. I want to touch on the blue collar thing. Um, have, are both you and your wife from Pennsylvania? No. So originally I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Okay. She is from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, we, we met in college at, at the Ohio State University. <laughs> I know people will hate when they say that. But yeah, we met at Ohio State. Um, and so when I graduated, I actually moved down South for a while in South Carolina. And then, uh, we were still dating at that point. It would have been like, I don't know, two, three years after college. And, and we figured, Hey, if we want to make this relationship last, we got to start doing something else rather than the long distance. So we met, we met in the middle in, in Pittsburgh, which is nice for family events. Cause it's not too far to Columbus or Baltimore. So that's kind of how we ended up in, in Pittsburgh. Um, and we've enjoyed it ever since. Yeah, because, I mean, there is the whole, it's, I, I don't know how else to describe it. I grew up in Maryland, but I went to college in Pennsylvania. I have a lot of family in Pennsylvania. And then my sister went to school in Ohio. But there is this blue-collar work ethic thing that sort of comes out of that area. And I would say Baltimore and that part of the eastern shore of Maryland as well. Um, so that's really awesome. And, uh, you know, because as we get on this podcast, I try to figure out, because the entrepreneurial spirit's, you know, it's not something people just come by. Some people just have it. Some people learn it because their family does it. But there's a lot of people out there that are just have it um, solely because of what you said. I don't want to work for, for anyone else, and I want to be in control of my own destiny and my own project. So right. sort of an interesting thing. I mean, it's funny because on some ways, this podcast is for the education of everyone else and to help other entrepreneurs or people out there just learn about food and entrepreneurism. But really what's also happening is we're a little bit in an experiment of and 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 what the experience is and how entrepreneurs actually come out of everything and and the trends that we see um that sort of the entrepreneur 
comes from. It's not something for everyone. That's for sure. I'd say a majority of the world is not an entrepreneur or willing right. to even take the step you just took because it does take courage and you have to be willing to fail to do it because there is a chance of failure. So tell us about how you deal with the things that don't go well or, or goals that haven't gone well or any failures that you've had you know, and, and you you haven't been open that long, but I've got to imagine the learning curve has been quite steep. Um, so tell us about that or some of the things that haven't gone well or things that you, you know, you've learned from. Right. And it, I mean, as owning a, a small business, it's, it's a challenge every day. There's always something, there's up and downs every day. You, you, you know, you start your morning and it's going really well. And the next thing you know, you turn around and you're like, oh man, now what do we do? But it's, it's challenging. You're, you're learning every day. Uh, there's ups, there's downs. And that's why it's nice that, you know, that we have a company that's, it's both Lauren and I that, you know, if I'm having a down day, if my, maybe someday I wake up or the day's not going well and, and my kind of, um, I just don't have a good attitude. She's able to come in and kind of correct that. But it's there's up and downs every day. It's 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 definitely not easy. If, I, I've never I don't know too many entrepreneurs, but I can't imagine that every day for them goes smoothly. So <laughs> if you're just starting to get into this. I mean, be ready. It's it's definitely something that you have to work incredibly hard at if you wanted to be successful. Um, and it's it's challenging every day. There's every day you have problems to solve. I mean, shoot, every hour I've got problems to solve. It's it's always it's ever changing. And there's just, I mean, that it, it's to me. I find that as that that's the fun part about it. I mean, it's it's kind of the unknown that you're going into, and it's the challenges at hand. I enjoy solving problems. Well, I apparently now have picked the right business <laughs> to solve problems because being an entrepreneur, that's what it is. So. It's fun. I find it very challenging. I mean, some days you might not, it might not be going your way, but I mean, you just got to keep, I mean, we're playing for the long term here. It's not, you're not going to be successful overnight. If, if that's kind of your mindset that, oh, I, I want to start a business in, you know, six months to 12 months, I want to be out of it and, you know, be all this successful. It's just not going to happen. That's not the real world. It's, it's the long term that you've got to be. So maybe one day you're down, maybe a week you're down, but the long term is what you're looking at. So yeah, it's, it's definitely something you got to keep a level head, but yeah, it's every day you're, you're solving new problems. Yeah. It's, it's a marathon, yeah, not a just, sprint. Yeah. Oh man, she's <laughs> yeah. literally ripped the words right out of my mouth over here. But I think that's hugely important, um, that everyone understands that there are no overnight successes. We talk about that a lot on this podcast that no one actually sees the amount of time that people put in before they have the, the success. So that's one. And the second part is uh, that you mentioned is that it's not really failures. They're really opportunities to grow. And if we're willing to not look at them as a, Hey, I failed. And we do use the word failure on this podcast, but it's really, okay, this happened. How can I grow from it? Or how can my ben business benefit from it? And so many people on the podcast, like you said, that's just, you know, solving problems and every problem we solve. I mean, that's our advantage. And what people don't know is the advantage. You may think it's a disadvantage at the time that you have a problem to solve, but the advantage is that you learn from it and no one else is learning from it, but you. And as you stack up all these disadvantages that have become your advantage, you know, you become quite the business person and quite the, the person that's an entrepreneur and able to pivot and better at solving problems. And you gain this whole new set of skills that is, is quite incredible. And the more you deal with it, the better your set of skills. I'm sure, you know, learning and just sipping different coffees, you've learned a whole different set of skills that not many people have. In my opinion, I don't know. 
I mean, you're the, actually the only person I know so far and that has been on this podcast that really has gone out there and done it. Cause in our side of the business, we don't actually deal anything to do with coffee other than make sure that it's passed through to the, the hospitals or the long-term care homes in some respect. So, you know, and they choose it, but it's, um, it's interesting. And now that I know more about it from talking to you guys, I'm definitely like have a new set of tools to go out there. And, and if anyone ever asked, I'd be like, okay, this is what I know, but I could point and say, Hey, I know Brian, he knows what he's doing and let's have talk to him. He's got this whole wealth of knowledge. So I think that's part of it also is now, and with this podcast and people listening is how do we help each other? Just like you said, to go back to when you walked into the, um, the bar, the whiskey place in, uh, I believe you said outside Columbus, Ohio, you know, you start conversating with people and there's connections there and networking, which is the biggest benefit of your business is how do you network with people? How do you talk to them? Because we've sort of lost that, um, skill in that we all send emails, which is the craziest thing to me. It takes so much longer to send an email than pick up the phone and call someone. But in, in, in that we've lost this personal touch and networking. So I wanted to go throw back to that part of the podcast where you actually were in person, had this conversation, someone invited someone over and then this relationship blossom with your coffee. So I really, I mean, it's amazing. And you guys traveling um, on another note and where your coffee bean comes from, I mean, the opportunity to grow there and I think see the world of coffee because it's all different all over the world. Um, and not to mention going to source the barrels, you're getting to meet so many people that are, have such similar mindsets. I think that's so cool. Um, yeah. And, and, and put, being part of the coffee and now even like the wine and the whiskey communities, I mean, they're pe- everybody's willing to help. And that's the best part about it is, is all of these communities, everybody's extremely friendly, willing to help, willing to lend an extra hand. I mean, it's just, it really has been a great experience. I mean, if anything, you know, if anything from all this that we've done, we've met some really cool people and I, and we've got friends that we're going to have long beyond if, you know, if anything ever happened with the business, it's, you're just meeting great people along the way. So I have two more questions as we start to to wrap up here. The first one is, um, I mean, we've kind of touched upon it, but never addressed it directly. But what really motivates you in what you're doing and motivates you to grow the business? I mean, is there longer, longer term goals Um, or what, you know, what drives you? You know, you work your your engineering job, but then you have to have motivate yourself and obviously have the energy to put into coffee at nights and on weekends. So what is that motivation? So, I mean, it goes back to one, our, our real passion for coffee itself. Like I find it extremely satisfying to, you know, we're cupping and we're sampling all these coffees and, and finding these new coffees that are out there. And it's like, where can I find my next cup at that's, that's just incredible that I can share with people? Um, so that's like, that's one aspect. The other is, you know, I, I enjoy having something of my own that I can see grow. And it's almost like having a child. I mean, it, you're, the company is your child in a way that, you know, you're always tending to it. You're always kind of feeding it. You're, co- you're always giving in to, you know, what the company needs and, and, and watching it grow. And it's just it's just the fact of it's, it's really satisfying to see something that you've put your heart and soul in and something you put so much time in to grow and, and see that other people do enjoy it. So it's just it's almost like a snowball effect of, of all of that. Yeah, that's awesome. And so my last question is, is, and you're a growing business and you're at the very beginning, but 
and, and maybe there's lessons you've learned along the way, but how, how do you manage? You've talked about wholesalers and things like that, but you've also talked about people buying your products online. How do you manage those relationships and how do you cultivate them and, and are trying to turn them into long-term customers? Uh, so, I, I mean, I want to I want to talk to them like I'm talking to one of my good friends. I mean, it's to me, like you said, everybody goes to email and stuff. I enjoy picking up the phone and just chatting with somebody. I mean, we we, we use social media a lot and we, we, we enjoy you know making relationship and friendships with them. Like if I see a, if I see a picture or something pop up of, you know, one of either one of our followers or somebody that we follow that I enjoy, I'm going to tell them about it and I'm going to start a conversation. So it's it's keep the conversation going with people like we're an open book. Give us a call, shoot us an email, shoot us a message on social media. We enjoy talking to everybody. So it's just kind of creating and, and keeping those conversations going with people. Yeah, awesome. So one more time as we start to wrap up, tell us where the audience where we can find your coffee, what your social media outlets are, your email address in case people want to reach out and talk to you about your products or, or a wholesalers listening in and they want to reach you and, and bring your products into to their restaurants or, or their wholesale network and or hotel or whatever. So tell us how to go about that so they can contact you guys and uh, pursue a relationship with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to see any of our social media, you can find us at, at Oakenbond Coffee. Um, you can find us uh, on Twitter, Facebook, especially Instagram. We're big on Instagram and Facebook, so find us anywhere there. We're on Pinterest as well if you, if you like to use Pinterest. Um, you can buy our coffee at our website, oakenbondcoffee.com, and you can send us an email um, at sales at oakenbondcoffee.com. And if you're a big Amazon user, I know a lot of people are Amazon Prime users now. You can actually find us on there, too. Uh, just search Oakenbond Coffee. will be the first thing to pop up. Um, and like I was saying earlier, we send fresh coffee to Amazon every day. So if you're, if you're, if you're buying from our website, if you're buying from... Uh, Amazon, you're getting the same fresh coffee either way. So Amazon or our website, you can find us. Um, and then, yeah, feel free to reach out to us either by email, by sending us a message through our, our social media handles, or send us a message on our website. Uh, we'll, we'll be happy to answer any of them and, and talk to you. So if you got any questions, let us know. We're an open book, and, and we're happy to help. And thank you, Brian, for being on the podcast, for sure. I think this has been awesome, and I've definitely learned a lot just listening in and a lot of things about coffee I didn't even know. I appreciate you guys having me. This has been really fun. So if you want me back again, I, I, I'm always available, and I really appreciate it. I, I enjoy your guys' podcast, so this was awesome to be on here. Thanks again. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely, take you up on it. Yeah, we'll definitely have you back on because part of what we're trying to do, and so the audience knows, and I'm sure they hear this all the time, but it's, we want to continue to tell your story because it's not just over in the hour to hour and 15 minutes we tell it. We want to, to follow you along the way in eight to 10 months, see where you guys are and how far along you're coming with the brick and mortar or have you gone down the cold brew or what other flavors have you added to your coffee? So just the anticipation of knowing what's next, I think, is, is part of the journey and the educational process and see what directions people go and how they pivoted since they did the first episode of the podcast. So definitely going to take you up on that offer for sure. And anyone who's listening into the podcast, you know, Brian's volunteering his time to be on here. Deborah and I are volunteering our time. There's, you know, we'll never take any advertisements. This is completely free to our audience. We're doing this to educate people. We're doing this to spread the word of food entrepreneurs and beverage entrepreneurs in the world that's out there and to give people a deeper 
understanding of what really goes on behind what people do and in, in the life that they leave and the sacrifices and lessons that they learn that can be applied to all of our lives or to other entrepreneurs who are trying to get in the business or struggling with things. So please share what we're doing here. That's all we ask. Like, you know, the, the payment for entry is basically share with someone that, you know, if you, they have a particular interest in coffee, share the episode, tell them what's going on here. Tell them about Oak and Bond and have them listen to the episode and subscribe to the podcast because what we are trying to do here is help people. And we know we can't help everyone, but we can certainly help a few people and maybe help them with their business in areas that they're struggling or in their entrepreneurial journey. So all, all that we ask, you know, it's up to you guys whether you want to is share it, tell someone, tell a friend, tell a family member, and pass on what we're doing here. Um, with that being said, thank you, Deborah, for always being on the podcast and supporting my dream of doing this. You're welcome. It's fun. And uh, Deborah's become quite the podcaster as well, just so the audience <laughs> knows. At first, she didn't want anything to do with it, uh, was scared to get on the mic, but just seeing her blossom and become so great at doing this has been uh, a big reward for me also. And I, I really do love it. Um, and that being said, thank you everyone for listening in. This is Justin in the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Justin Mazur. I'm your host. If you're interested in being on the show, please reach out to us on social media at Justin in the Food Entrepreneurs on Instagram and Facebook. And my email address is justin.bizarro at gmail.com. And that's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O at gmail.com. And thank you, everyone, for listening in.